the overall message is that uh, we view our relationship uh, with the rest of the hemisphere as a critical one, critical to our economic well-being here, to job creation here. And she spoke words that would melt in your hands. And she spoke words of wisdom. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Waltz. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Friday, March 18th. That was Mike Froman, White House economics advisor you heard at the top, talking about President Obama's upcoming trip to Latin America. Today on the show, we read that thing you've never read. I'm not talking about the Constitution, not Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. I'm talking about your credit card agreement. And we ask the question, why, oh, why, oh, why does it have to be written that way? But first, our Planet Money indicator from J.J. Goldstein. Today's Planet Money indicator, seven. Seven world powers just got together and decided to help Japan in really a big way. Uh, today, at Japan's request, leaders from the U.S. and Canada and a bunch of European countries, they all started selling yen on the open market. And that, in turn, is actually a very good thing for Japan. Ever since the earthquake, the yen had actually been getting stronger and stronger. And as we've pointed out before, somewhat confusingly, a stronger currency for a country can actually be bad for that country's economy. Because when your currency gets stronger, the stuff that you make in your country and you try to sell becomes more expensive to countries abroad. So if you're, say, you know, Honda or Sony or any other Japanese exporter, a stronger yen is, is bad for your business. And Japan's economy really depends on exports. Jacob, is it right to think of this as sort of a backdoor version of foreign aid? I mean, it helps Japan, right, because it makes their exports cheaper. But it makes our exports in Japan more expensive. So is this something that hurts all of us a little bit and it helps Japan? Well, you know, I talked this morning to this guy, Jeffrey Frankel. He's an economist at Harvard who looks at this stuff. And he, he basically said there are two reasons he thinks that, that all these countries got together and agreed to do this. And one is, is basically just solidarity. And so that one does sort of feel like foreign aid, right? Like Japan is in this horrible spot right now, and we are going to stand with them and give them what they want. The other one is sort of less like foreign aid. He basically said, you know, a lot of economists basically think you should let currency markets do what they want. If the yen's getting stronger, let it get stronger, except, except in times when it's sort of going crazy and when there's a lot of volatility. And he was saying what we've been seeing in the last few days may qualify for that. So in that case, there is some notion that, that we're really acting in our self-interest to try and sort of settle the market down a little bit. I see. That we're not artificially setting the price of the yen, but that we're just trying to keep it sort of stable for them in this difficult time. Yes, which is, of course, a judgment call and a fine line. But but he basically said, yeah, this looks like a good call, and it looks like it'll probably work. It looks like, you know, the yen has gotten a little weaker, and at least so far today, it's pretty stable. So that's good for Japan. Okay, thank you, Jacob. Thanks, guys. Okay, so on to that document that no one reads, right, David? Yes. So we've all received credit card agreements. I have one right here. It's the legal notice that you get with your credit card. And it'll say many things. For instance, I'm just going to read from the top. We may add this fee for the first time your payment is returned, even if it is not returned upon resubmission. The fee will be $25 or $35 with any additional returned <laughs> payment in the next six billing cycles after the okay, return. Okay, okay, okay. So sounds familiar. Today we're going to meet a person who looks at this thing that I'm holding in my hand and believes it is a masterpiece. And we're going to meet someone who thinks it is not a masterpiece. We're talking about this today because the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that thing just created by Congress, has made it clear it wants to put an end to this. It wants to translate this fine print into English for the rest of us. It wants to make this stuff readable. So we will all know exactly what we're getting into when we sign up for a credit card or take out a loan or sign up for a bank account. First question, though, 
Where do documents like this come from anyway? What's your relationship with that paperwork? I write a lot of it. <laughs> um, I started writing credit card agreements almost right out of law school, you know, like over 25 years ago. Hannah, you found the author? You know, in reading these things, I never thought about, like, who is the person who wrote this. I guess I thought it was written by a machine or something. What does she look like? Neat. <laughs> she looks very neat. She's sort of impeccably dressed great posture. Her name is Roberta Torian, and she's a lawyer for Reed Smith in Philadelphia. And I met Roberta in her office. She has a file cabinet of her works, and she sort of sifts through them for me. She grabs a department store credit card agreement and holds it four feet above the ground and allows it to unfold all the way to the floor. Does it seem like every single thing on here is absolutely necessary to include? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't see... I don't see anything in here that we really could eliminate. If you got this, or when you do, when you do apply for credit cards, do you sit and read the entire thing? Of course I do. <laughs> I really thought that pause, she was going to give you the, no, I don't read it either. I know, I did too. So this is what I really liked about Roberta, is that she lives in a totally alternate universe, from at least from the one... That I know. In my universe, you know, people look at an agreement like this and they say, there's no way that can all be necessary. But in the world Roberta lives in, it is sincerely exactly the opposite. It makes perfect sense. She's sort of incredulous about my entire line of questioning, you know, like my sort of simple, why can't you just put all this on one page? And she like laughed at me. She said, there's no way to fit everything that you have to say on one page. It's a crazy question. Well, okay, why is this part in eight-point font? She says, if it wasn't an eight-point font, it'd have to be even longer. Okay, why can't it be written in plain English then? Well, I had this discussion actually with a client last week <laughs> because I was writing an agreement over the weekend, and the, the client said, well, you know, I'd rather not have too much legalese. And I said, fine, then it's going to be longer. And she said, are you kidding me? And I said, no. I said, because there are terms such as, let me give you a quick example, herein. As set forth herein, if I'm not going to use herein, I have to say, as set forth in this agreement. So I now have three words where I had one. <laughs> and if I don't say heretofore, then we have to say, as we stated above, you know, in section so-and-so, or as we stated earlier in this paragraph, rather than as stated heretofore. All right, so writing in plain English takes a couple more words than saying pursuant to or whatever. Uh, it's, it seems worth it to me. I mean, why don't they do it? Well, Roberta says it's written in legal language because it needs to be legal. The majority of your credit card agreement is there because by law it has to be. And not only that, but every decade or so, Congress demands that our credit card companies or our banks tell us more. They pass a new law, which means Roberta has to add to that document. She has to write more. She has to write what happens if you lose your credit card? How quickly can you access your money? She has to write, what are the different kinds of accounts you can have? How do the terms differ if you're in New Jersey or Nebraska? And what about online banking? She says, if I don't say you have to pay us back, you don't have to pay us back. Um, when you have a contract that says you have to pay me back and you don't pay it back, then it's a lot simpler to try to get a judgment against somebody because the facts are there. But if you never said you have to pay me back, then you have to sue and the person can say it was a gift. Roberta tells me that when she goes to parties, she doesn't tell people what she does. It just gets too emotional because people are always convinced 
the banks are trying to hide things. They're burying fees somewhere in there. And I asked Roberta if she had ever been asked by a bank to bury something or make some phrasing kind of hard to understand. And she said, no, in her view, that does not happen. I know that bank lawyers um, generally tell banks, you know, you should highlight this, you should underline this, you should use italics for this to call attention to it. So banks, um, because they're regulated, they're not trying to hide anything. What you want is for your customers to know how their accounts work so that if something happens, they're not surprised. It keeps down customer complaints. That's what you want. You want a customer satisfaction rate of like 95% if you can get it. In Roberta Torian's universe, the people who are failing here are the consumers, the people who get these documents and do not read them. She says she is always hearing stories about people who are complaining to the government regulators of banks saying, my bank changed my fee on me and they didn't tell me, or if they did, it was probably in some insert in my envelope. And then they say her least favorite words. But who reads that stuff anyway? For Roberta, this is her work. She spends hours and hours writing these documents, and they are documents that she thinks are meant to be read. Does it hurt you a little bit to hear who reads that anyway? Um, I th- I think probably a few years ago it was it was a little disturbing because um, the lawyers who write it are so meticulous. Um, the bank will send a notice, but then people don't read the you know they don't read the inserts and the statements, so the rate goes up. Um, and they're very concerned about it. Um, so I guess somebody needs to come up with a way to make people read their statements. I, mean, I don't know what that way is. I mean, we you really can't force people to read anything. You can't? Or can you? Dun, 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 dun. What are we looking at here? So, this whole table. Um, well, what I've spread out on this table is the the various versions that we went through as we went out um, and tested with consumers. This is Susan Kleiman. You can think about her as the anti-Roberta. Roberta works for banks, not the consumer. Susan is the opposite. She thinks about these documents from the consumer's perspective. She's the sort of person the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau would probably hire to simplify bank documents, the documents that Roberta writes. Roberta definitely thinks all the pages in these credit agreements and bank documents, they're all there to help consumers. Susan, though, says that's not always the case. Sometimes you're hiding choice. Sometimes you're hiding letting people know what the real information is. Susan says most of the stuff people like Roberta write, financial documents, they have a basic problem. They're contracts. They're written for protection. To protect the banks, definitely, and maybe the consumer, too. But the thought sitting in the minds of writers like Roberta is always protection. And Susan says that's a problem. When you're writing protectively as opposed to informatively, you end up with some pretty bad documents. I think as soon as you get into some of the legalistic language, yeah, heretofore, I actually like the word notwithstanding, but it's not a great one to put into a document for a consumer. All the little Roman numerals, you know, if something looks difficult, people assume that it is difficult and they won't read it. Most people who write credit card documents know a lot about credit. Susan says people like Roberta, they want to tell you everything they know in these documents. It's, it's sort of like your uncle who loves to talk and talk and talk, and, but he never actually stops to see if you care what he's saying or if you have any thoughts to add. 
Susan says every day she reads a document you can tell was written by someone who never imagined themselves as the reader. Like there was one government form that had a question on it that put Susan in a bad mood for weeks. And one of the questions on that is, do you belong to a terrorist group? (laughs) Who would say yes? What's the point of that question? Susan says this is the problem a lot of the time. When people write these kinds of documents, they don't think about who is reading them. She says there is a way to write these things in a clear, simple way. So she has a process to figure out what a clear, simple way would be that people would understand. And basically, she gets focus groups together and she has them read documents and react. So this one time she was assigned to simplify a bank privacy disclosure. The banks had been sending out these disclosures saying that they could share people's personal information and that people had an option to opt out if they wanted to. They had a choice, but nobody understood that from the forms. It was totally unclear. So Susan was assigned to make these forms clear enough that people knew that they had this choice and they could opt for it if they wanted to. So we did focus groups, and one of the first things we heard is that when you say financial privacy notice, consumers immediately assumed there wasn't anything they could do. It was kind of here's our privacy notice, our, our privacy policy, and take it or leave it. We're just informing you. There's no choice in here. There's nothing you can do. Oh, so from the very beginning, like what the d- document is actually just called wasn't yes. working for people. Yes, and I don't think any of us, um, we as designers didn't anticipate that, and it was just crystal clear. So Susan decided they needed to change the name. They were no longer financial privacy notices. Susan played with a lot of different titles to try and get people to read them. And she showed me sort of version one, version two, version three, all laid out in front of us. So all this was was experimenting. Um, And what worked? None of these. (laughs) None of them worked? None of these. And we had this other option that we tried to do a much more graphical presentation so it would look more inviting. Uh, These didn't work either. And then Susan had a new idea. Let's just try the most basic structure you can think of for communicating information. Break it down into who, why, what, when, how. You know, the way you would do in like fourth grade. Susan says she actually wrote those words on the form. Who, what, why, where, when, how. And I should say fourth grade is not totally an arbitrary grade. Fourth grade is talked about a lot in these kind of readability studies as like a measure, you know, could a fourth grader understand this? Right. So on the form, they have the who, what, when, where, why. They actually write that down. And next to those words, they put the answers. And then under that, they have a graphic, a table. It's very clear. Column one lists all the various ways the bank shares information. Right next to it, it tells you whether that's something you can say yes or no to. And then if you can say yes or no to it, there's an option. You get to circle. Yes, it's fine with me. You can share that information. No, it's not fine with me. Don't share it. So then we went to Austin. By this time, the why, what, and who, we had narrowed things down. We had a stronger table. This was really working. So my fantasy would be that just about anybody would be able to pick it up And maybe not read every word and understand every word, but would be able to get to this table and would understand that there was an option here and that there was something they might be able to do about that. What would happen if you showed this to a fourth grader? I would guess that they would have trouble with some of the words. Um, I would think that they would kind of get the table. Um, I think they would under 
understand the basics of it. Um, hi. My name is Jarek Sanders, and I am in fourth grade. Han, I love that you actually found a fourth grader. We found three fourth graders. We set out to do our own testing, and we sat down with Jarek Sanders, who just heard, Neo Johnson, and Jasmine Gomez from PS51's fourth grade. And their teacher assured us, these three, they are average fourth graders. They're not way ahead of their peers, but they're not way behind either. So you brought them two documents. First one, Susan's improved privacy disclosure document, no longer called a privacy disclosure document, and a Macy's credit card agreement. And that credit card agreement was very similar to the one that Roberta, the woman who writes credit card agreements, the one that she had shown me in her office. So I sat down with the kids and I showed them that one first. What do you guys think just looking at that right away? Um, a lot of words. <laughs> I think it's probably going to be complicated When I was in Roberta's office and we were sitting looking at this department store credit card agreement, I had asked her to choose a section to read to me. So she sat down and read me a section. The finance charge for a building period is calculated by applying the periodic rate to the account balance subject to finance charge for each day in the building period and adding together all of those daily finance charge amounts. Do you read that and think that's very clear what that's saying? Yeah, I mean, I... I do. I mean, we're, we're saying that this is what we do. You're, you're, you have a billing period. Um, we tell you that the charges are separate depending on the plan. Um, I can see from your face that you don't think it's clear at all. <laughs> if you were only writing this so that, like, me and a fourth grader could actually mm-hmm. understand it, you'd write it differently, right? If I were writing it for a fourth grader and knew that the fourth grader could default, I'd still write it the same way. <laughs> I there's just you just can't get around that. I mean, you have to have a document that will give you the ability to get your money back, whether it's a fourth grader or you know somebody fifty. Interest charge balance computation 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 method. An interest, An interest charge. charge will be imposed on each balance within each account type. That is, su- that is subject to interest charges by applying a daily periodic rate. So, David, these kids are taking turns reading, and when Jarek takes over, Neo's eyes kind of wander out the window until they're all finished. To me, it doesn't explain what an interest charge is clearly. So, um, And with me, I wasn't paying attention, and... Um, When I heard the middle to the last part, it did not make any sense at all. I didn't understand what an account type was. Um, We don't really know um, what all these big words mean yet. All right, so I think the Macy's credit card agreement fails the fourth grade test. None of these three kids said they really understood what Macy's was trying to tell them. Next up. Susan's document about banks disclosing personal information. Now, I have to say, David, when I was looking at, you know, Susan's various iterations of this privacy document, and she spent like half an hour talking about the table and what the table should look like and how they tested it with three groups in three different cities. And I just felt like it can't possibly matter. All these tiny little decisions can't make a huge difference. But... As soon as I handed this document to the fourth graders, you could tell that every decision about the layout mattered because before they even read any words, they were completely engaged in trying to figure it out. Oh, wait. 
So I think um, all financial companies need to share customers' personal information to run their everyday business. What? Um, I think they're telling you, like, why they need the personal information. It tells you what you're going to know about, like, why it says here, what, and how. Like, if you had questions like that, it'll, like, answer for you. Oh, okay. Um, but the federal the law second, The second sentence says um, it, that the federal law gives um, you the right to, like, choose how, like, some of the information they um, want you to share, but not all. All three fourth graders understood that they had a choice, that this document was presenting them with a choice, something having to do with the banks sharing their personal information. And I have to say, it may not be a fair comparison to a billing structure of a credit card with multiple account types, but I do think the privacy form wins our very informal fourth grade readability test. So who's right? Roberta, the person who writes the legal documents, or Susan, the person who's trying to translate them into English? It seems like from the fourth graders... We sort of have an answer. Well, here's here's what I've come away from all of this feeling like. I feel like they can actually both be sort of right. Oh, that's such a happy little answer. <laughs> okay. It seems at least like they can each get their own section, right, of the financial document. So Susan could do like the first page or two and make them really simple and really clear. And then Roberta can have the next and she can put all the legal language that you have to have in there. She can fill 12 pages with heretofores and notwithstanding. And you can have both, you know, the simplicity of understanding all the important points and all the legal language that you have to have. And you may have noticed this already in some of your credit card documents. There are new regulations that mandate credit card companies uh, show you a first page that is clear with the most important information laid out. Roberta does have a nagging fear about that, though, which is that we're just going to add to the things that are the most important for you to know. And we're going to add to the first page and then you'll have two pages and three pages of most important things that you need to know in clear, simplified languages. And it will just make it longer and longer and longer. And then again, no one reads it. Right. It does seem like we're heading toward at least a couple pages up front trying to lay stuff out clearly. That is clearly the intent of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, now created by the bank reform bill. They hope we'll have easy-to-read financial documents. And Susan, the simplifier, says that will be great. People will understand their rights and options and obligations. You can see the bank privacy notice that Susan worked on. You can actually see the before she worked on it and then the after she had simplified it and made it clear and easy to read on our blog, npr.org slash money. Also on our blog, you can see a picture of Neo and Jarek, the two fourth graders, studying a 12-page Macy's credit card agreement. Oh, wait. So I think... Wait, hold on. Can you read that again? Okay, and we want to especially thank their teacher, Mrs. Kawasaki, for letting us pull them from class and spend some time with them. Please send us your solutions to financial document headaches. You can send us email, planetmoney at npr.org, or you can reach us on Facebook. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. Thanks for listening. 